You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from Waste Disposal Center 3 on the original Death Star. Okay, cool. What a what a weird time we live in. Sarah. Hello. Sarah, it's been so long. It has. Sarah. It has. I, I think. <laughs> so, Vocal Fam, um, we're going to get into our dear guest um, here in a second. Uh, yeah. We have our, our our very very long time Vocal Fam, Ian Howell, with us uh, from Embodied Music Lab to talk about his new book, Advice for Young Musicians. But before we dive into that, gosh, it's been months now, Sarah, months. since we've recorded, or at yeah. least at least a month and a half. I no, don't, I, maybe I don't two remember months. the. I don't know. It was. It was. was it October. Sarah, maybe? Sarah, what happened in your life since we last recorded? I stopped sleeping. <laughs> um, more accurately, I had a baby. He's you, pretty cute. As Ian and I would both confirm, you do stop sleeping. I mean, oh my you god! Defi- you, you definitely stop sleeping. Like. I think one night, a few, every once in a while, I get to sleep four hours in a row, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm very excited about Best it. Best advice I ever got as a young parent was sleep when the baby sleeps, clean when the baby cleans. <laughs> well, that's it. Th- when people say, like, sleep when the baby sleeps, I'm like, but what about everything else? Like, when do I eat? You don't. <laughs> when do I do laundry? <laughs> oh, you're asking... And there's a lot of laundry. There's a lot of laundry. Yeah. For, for all of the existential questions we're going to get into today, <laughs> yeah. we actually have started off with some very big ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because the, as a parent, speaking as a parent now for 14 years, these are... That's that's life in a nutshell right now. It's sort of a fog. You were talking about losing track of days. The only way, reason I know what day it is is I keep track to know when I need to take the trash to the street because that's also important. <laughs> nice. Particularly when you have a baby. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. As he gets older, the, the other thing that'll make sense is people will say, with young kids, the days are long, but the months <laughs> and years go fast. They do. They do. They do. Do, and mine are older than yours. And uh, I was literally this morning sitting with my children. Have They were having breakfast and my wife and I were having coffee because her semester's now over. Woo-hoo. And I was literally like, and, and I didn't have to come into the office today other than for this. And so the wife and I just kind of had a morning of dates. But I was so thankful for this moment of just like, oh, it's the holidays. And my kids still live with me. And I'm having coffee. And wow. This is okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah, Vogel fam, we're sorry we've been out. Well, we're not really sorry. I'm not really sorry. We actually intended. I don't think you would have wanted to hear me we fully at any in- point in the last <laughs> yeah. seven no, weeks. We fully intended to take this maternity leave. We had planned yep. it. It wasn't unexpected. It was not unexpected. It was it, uh, very expected. It was absolutely something we were planning to do this whole time. We will Ooh. record um, a, a Christmas episode coming yeah. up in the next couple of weeks. As we do, it'll be Vocal Fry Christmas 7. Um, and we are looking forward to the spring getting back to record some um, again uh, but just as a way to actually transition us into the book because the book actually does have a lot of business aspects to it and and all this kind of stuff Um, I also have had a pretty dramatic change in my life uh, not as dramatic as Sarah's Um, but I decided that a second job would be a good idea (laughs) you just didn't have enough going on (laughs) 
Um, and I believe the press release is coming out here on Tuesday, and oh. I have been named currently interim executive director for Opera Mississippi. Um, and uh, so, because, um, you know, sleeping apparently is not something that I, I should. I guess you just didn't want it back. I, I, you started to reach a point where maybe you could have slept through the night. I do. I, well, no, I don't. I haven't slept through the night in years. So, But that's more to do with my age and my disease than it is to do with. There you go. Than, well, it, is, than well. it is to do with anything else. So much to look forward to. <laughs> so, so much to look forward to. Anyway. Um, but no, uh, as I was thinking about this this episode, my new roles uh, with Opera Mississippi, um, there are actually several things that that I want to talk about from the book that that will really poke out because they they spoke to me now, um, kind of uh, in a different capacity. As I, you know, I, obviously, as Sarah knows and Vocal Fam, you know, I've already been managing Lyric Stage and. True. And managing an act, I don't mean to make light of this at all. Managing a academic production company is its own thing. Set of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds. That's exactly the right way to put it. Set of stuff. Set of stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, taking on a professional one is is a different uh, a different monster. And and uh, you know, one of the things, Ian, that you and I kind of share in life is that um, we've both been through a bunch of different acts throughout as we've gone through our life through the music through through the journey of music as a musician absolutely to tell remind the vocal fam kind of just to help frame the book because i know that the book is not just for classical singers mm-hmm. kind of frame for the vocal fam some of the different perspectives of life that you've gained over the years that kind of are in this book oh sure yeah so the book is called advice for young musicians so it's really it's written broadly to anybody who's contemplating a life in music and um you know i I would say maybe i guess uh, i toyed with the title a lot and it's not like there's going to be a second volume that's like advice for old musicians (laughs) right but but it's more like (laughs) life lessons for musicians so yeah so yeah like my acts i mean my god if i i think about if I could talk to myself at like 19 or 20, if I could, if like how I would even explain where life ended up and the things I had learned and the things that were hard that I wouldn't have ever expected to be hard and the things I achieved that I never would have thought I I could have achieved. But my 20 year old Ian was, was like had long hair and was playing singer songwriter music in coffee shops and like played steel drum in a Calypso cover band for most of his income. And, and so like that's act one. And then act two was I toured the world and sang Palestrina with Chanticleer. And then I was a very low art, very, very low art. I know. right? I can just see how you got from one to the other. I too. know it's it's it, I mean, people always say things like and you'll it, it's funny, like I, I even laid out the book with the assumption that people would be photocopying pages and like taping them to their teaching studio doors on yeah, college yeah. campuses like I, I kind of thought through that because I used to do that exact same um, sort of thing um, but it's funny because my what the transition to to being like in Chanticleer was because my mom gave me a Chanticleer CD when I was 14 and was like if you work really hard you know someday you could be in a group like this and like oh. little deluded 14 year old Ian Brain was like I will make my mother love me <laughs> if I get into <laughs> oh. Right. And so we all, we all like carry these things with we us. We do. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, you'll see people posting little inspirational quotes on their studio doors. Like it's, it's all, you know, it's, it's all a tangled path or it's all nonlinear. You never know how it will unfold, but oh my God, like that's all of those 
cute little aphorisms people put on their studio doors. Mm. 100% true. Um, and and it I, doesn't change as you get older. It doesn't. You're still shocked. You're that. still shocked. And then I was like a, a classical soloist for like a decade and sang with orchestras all over the world and and enough opera to be to be relevant. But, you know, my real love was chamber music and, and concert work and then taught at a conservatory for 10 years and that was its own like bizarre amazing thing and and now i basically i i kind of joke it's like i i get up and i teach and then i think and then i fail to write for some indeterminate number of hours every day and then i go to bed <laughs> and then i like wake up so that's essentially my life at this point I wrote three pages this weekend. Oh, solid. How, how about that? That's amazing. I wrote an entire glossary of terms about online voice teaching. Oh my gosh. Wow. Including trace, root, and ping. Thank you very much for including those. Those are important ideas. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we get we get away from ourselves. Um, I, I, before we get into any nitty gritty about the book, yeah. t- talk to us about why not why you wrote the book, but why did you divide the book as you did? It's got very clear sections. Yeah, and it's interesting. Sure. I would like to say to the vocal fam, first off, I read this in one day. This is yeah. not a... Same. This is not a book that is going to take you six years to read or comprehend. Yeah. Although I think there's, there's certainly the fact that you could read some of these pages multiple hundreds of times throughout your life and they would mean different things to you. Yeah. I agree with that. But you can read the book in a day, oh, no problem. I I read it I read it in a morning with a 6-week-old like feeding him a bottle. Like sure. it's, yeah. it's very doable. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's laid out um as a series of like one-page statements. Very doable. Very yes. doable. Yeah, it's more, it's more like a book of poetry. It um, is. It, it is. It reads very much like that. You could do like a one a day calendar. Every day. You know, it's you funny. Somebody actually recommended that because like the, the paperback version is out right now and I'm working mm-hmm. on the ebook version and like I have the proof of the hard copy in my hand right now. Mm-hmm. So it'll be available in various formats. And somebody was like, there's a real opportunity to do like a tear away once a day. Calendar. For real. You You're could. Right. That's true. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, absolutely. You talk about something someone would have like in their office or their studio mm-hmm. just every day. Just bloop. As soon as you tear it off, you tape it right to your door. Give it to <laughs> every, you know, student door. graduating. Here's your little calendar. And there you go. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so I've, I've got it laid out um, in seven sections. Those sections are how careers unfold, how music, practice, and performance work, business, networking, and relationships, becoming who you are, necessary skills, behaviors, and outlooks, academia and education and then the last one is mentors and teachers and i you know i I laid it out this way because i uh, the the genesis of this book essentially was um (laughs) this is gonna sound sound so petty nick um i was so tired of people in online communities saying that education is horrible Hmm. right because just at my core it's like anybody who's spent any time as a student definitely anybody who's spent any amount of time as a teacher it's obvious it's horrible right it's like the the ways in which it it is challenging are just so clear but that doesn't mean it isn't also amazing Mm -hmm. and transformative and incredibly valuable and um you know i i i think i 
I intentionally misquote Winston Churchill um, when I say that, you know, I, th I think formal education is obviously terrible and the only thing worse is literally everything else that we've ever tried, right? And, um, and so I just started, I started formulating a list of things I learned in my education because I felt like somebody needed to like affirmative, it's not defend academia, right? But just like affirm the things that are positive, like the great outcomes, the great important lessons that we could learn. And so I had a bulletin board outside my studio at New England Conservatory, and I literally just printed it up and put it out there. And then once every year, I started like posting it in various Facebook groups. And mm -hmm. um, I swear to God, <clears throat> possibly with the exception of some technology information and like, you can do it, voice teachers uh, posts right at the beginning of the pandemic, my consistently most shared and most... Um, uh, in terms of getting engagement in social media, posts mm. are every time I post that list, right? So it's like I could tell that there was there was a strong reaction to it, and people saw themselves in it, yeah. and the number of people who were basically like, "You need to put this in a book, you need to put this in a book." I would buy this if you put this in a book. Um, it finally just inspired me. Now in my what is this? My ninth act. I don't know, Nick. My hmm. my fourth or fifth act that I'm in professionally at this point. One of the things I've committed to is I have a lot of book projects that I have not finished, right? I, I have like an almost- What? I know, I have like an almost 50,000 word book on singing voice perception that I need to finish. I have an almost 30,000 word book on um, teaching models for voice acoustics that I need to finish. And that is to say nothing of some other very interesting and cool projects that uh, will hopefully be out probably in the Embodied Music Lab Press imprint over the next year, maybe two years, we'll see. But I, I looked at this project and I was like, I can do this one. Like this this is the one that I can I can finish up as quickly as possible. It's like that uh, approach to debt where you pay off your it's lowest one Dave first. Ramsey oh, snowball. Yeah. That's exactly, uh -huh. that is exactly what was in my mind. I was like, what is my literary snowball? I wasn't going to say the person's <laughs> name, but fine. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Um, and and of course, as soon as I started engaging with the material again, I had a bunch of other ideas. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, I remember I used to say this all the time to students. Oh, I remember that was a thing that I noticed. Oh, there's a pattern there. There's there's a thing that seems to hold true in most cases there. And so, you know, what was a 40 page, what would have been a 40 page text is instead like a 130 page text um, as I kind of fleshed out the other things that, um, in, in a life in music that was more varied and longer than I probably deserve, um, you know, these were like the patterns that really seemed to be apparent. Um, so I think like the, the how careers unfold section is to an extent, like just what is it gonna look like if you try to um, convert the thing that perhaps you good at, you're good at or that you love or that others have encouraged you to do just like nuts and bolts what does it look like mm -hmm. for a career to to unfold which in my mind honors that it's different at different times in your career mm. um how music practice and performance work i'm a I, I know probably a lot of your listeners think of me as like the the geeky person that carries like a sound level meter around to like <laughs> evaluate friendships or whatever but um, <laughs> but but i <laughs> I actually, I really, I deeply care about music. And Ian did do that to me the first time we met in person. He I, actually had a hand in sound. Sorry. There was questionable calibration, but you passed. Well, um, 
I think it really matters how we think about music. And, and, and I think music has this real unique power to get into our brains in ways that words alone would not. Like we can make emotional arguments with music that we would um, we'd be more resistant to yeah. with just prose, right? Um, and and so I, I actually think, God, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. I, I think a lot of people out in the world who received singing training um to to a lesser extent with instrumental training it seems but a lot of people out in the world who receive singing training were like taught how to be a, a great cog in a very specific kind of music machine and, and they don't necessarily really understand how music itself works so i i wanted to try to uh like it's not a music theory chapter but i wanted to like create little pockets to inspire people to actually dig deeper into um why it is that we seem to be able to make meaning with music and like what are the underlying rules that like really great composers or really great performers seem to seem to understand even if they never explicitly say it out loud um the business networking and relationships i, I mean th this is an industry of this is a people industry yes like mm. we like we might as well like we don't go to like music conventions we're essentially going to sales conventions it's, it's just yes. that each of us is the product right yes and um and so that that covers you know that's like 25 pages worth of really just explaining how it is that you can generate and leverage a network and how to think about you know what it is taking this thing that you deeply care about and attempting to monetize it right and the, and the compromises and challenges that that come out of there um becoming who you are th this is I don't know. I don't know if this is frou-frou, but if it's frou-frou, like I want to be frou-frou, like becoming who you are chapter is, is really, it, it's, it's the advice that honors that all of us are on a real legitimate personal journey and we're going to intersect with and interact with a lot of other people. But like at, at the end of this, it's, it's going to be each of our own stories. Um, Jaladin Rumi, um, whose poetry I point to on one of the other pages, had this amazing myth uh sorry this amazing poem that's called unfold your own myth which i would encourage everybody to read um but you know it's basically like we all we all go through life thinking that we need to be you know the next telling of caruso or i want to be the next beyonce or you know if i could only be taylor swift i would whatever and and you know i don't know the 1200s this um mystic Sufi poet is saying that all of us learn myths, all of us learn stories. Um, and the whole point is so that you realize that you can go unfold your own myth, right? Yeah. <laughs> the point is for you to write a new story. Um, necessary skills, behaviors, and outlooks. The, these are the things that it seemed to me that the folks who had the right skills, understood how to treat people and understood how to gauge their own expectations for what the world should be for them. Um, you know, if you can basically figure out how to behave in a certain way that you will find better success, find more long-term success. Academia and education and mentors and teachers, these two chapters are somewhat overlapping, but you know, in, in my mind, a mentor and a teacher doesn't necessarily have to be part of a formal education, right? So, so I do separate these things out. Um, and these two chapters are, are you know, essentially lists of 
things that seem to be true in terms of what can be great and also terrible in predictable ways about what it is to get a formal education. You know, as somebody who's structured formal educations for other people, and Nick and Sarah, this is true for the two of you as well, like, you know how hard it is to, um, I want to say get it right. It's like, I don't think anybody sets out to try to make terrible curriculums <laughs> for people, sure. right? But it, but it's like the, the ways in which things fail are also similarly predictable, right? And so mm -hmm. we can then be on the lookout for those patterns. Um, and the mentors and teachers one, I think this is one that's kind of the, the closest to my heart because, um, you know, can, we, we all get so stuck in like a static sense of, oh, I'm doing a master's degree or, oh, I'm teaching high school piano students or I'm what, like as though, as though those are fixed events that yeah. do not evolve over time. And so, so I, I wanted to write out a chapter that both really speaks to mentors and you know about what to look out for and what to expect and also speaks to students who themselves are either looking for teachers looking for mentorship trying to make sense of what that experience is actually like and you know maybe most importantly just to to give them a sense of you know like what it is to grow over time with a teacher like what it is to have that relationship change over time. You know, one of the things I, I, I suggest in that section is like, it, it won't happen all the time, but one of the great transformations that most of us have gone through is actually just becoming like professional colleagues and friends with the people who we used to look at as gatekeepers or barriers or like unattainable teachers. and. And like it's it sounds great on its face and it's also horrible because like you you have to gr grieve the loss of the role that this person played in your life because we are all getting older and all the dynamics of all of these relationships are dependably changing over time it will i mean that's what you just said and everything that you've already unpacked for us is, I think, a reflection of something that I would compare so much of this book to. Uh, a dear, a mentor of mine, may he rest in peace, his name was Tom Sleeper. He was one of the great university orchestral, director of orchestral activities mm -hmm. in this country of all time. And Tom, as a when I was a young 21-year-old, Tom thought I was singing well enough to take me on a tour of China <laughs> with, you know, with the Frost Chamber Orchestra to do Mahler's Das Lied von der Erde based in China, on Chinese text in China. As one does. Oh. <laughs> and then at 35, 7, 38, 7, 4, I don't know, in my mid-30s somewhere, had me back to sing the Mahler with the full symphony. And one of the things that struck me doing those that work 15 years apart or so was how different I felt about the texts. Mm. And he said to me, yeah, 20 years from now, you're going to feel very different about them again. Oh. Hmm. 
And I think that there's wisdom in here, Ian, and I really mean this, and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend, um, because I, Sarah would tell you, you would tell you, and you <laughs> I mean, you guys know, I don't, I don't just say things just for the heck of it. Oh, um, but uh, I think there's really wisdom in here that can grow with you, Yeah. you know, and mean different things at different points along, along your journey. Um, very similar to just how mentors can mean different things to you along your journey. Um, I'd, I'd like to go through some stuff. Um, I don't want to give away the whole book, by the way. No, of, we should read some We're going to say on the yeah. front end here that the, or in the middle here, that the book is available on Amazon. Indeed. Um, yeah, it, it's it's on digital Amazon. Digital or not? Um, it, not currently. So it's, okay. it's currently in paperback. It, probably in January. Uh, January, I'll release the ebook and, okay. the, and the hardcover. Um, no, but I think we should we should read some parts. Yeah. And we can so let's talk let's about it. can we can go I, se- can let's take section by Be, section a before, little bit before we jump in though. Yeah. Just, just what you were saying. It, it I was like I also think this, and <laughs> it's because I'm looking at the introduction, and I wrote read it front to back, dip in and out, dog ear pages that speak to you or argue with what I share here. As you grow as a person and as a musician, the advice on these pages will take on different meanings at different times. I hope these thoughts spark your imagination and save you time and heartache as you make your own way. At minimum, I hope you will see that you are alone in neither your successes nor your struggles. And let me just say one other preface thing along those same lines, Vocal Fam. Um, as I read this, um, Ian and I speak on a very regular, well, we don't speak, but we text at least on a very regular basis. Let's not make it too personal. <laughs> but I, I can I can verify that the, the things in these, I felt like I was like reading things that I've heard you say yeah. so many times that are so much just a part of your consciousness that um, it's not just made up gobbledygook. It's actually things that you actually do refer to on a regular basis. Oh yeah, this is what I be- This is my credo. <laughs> right. Yeah. That that's that's what I was kind of getting at. It's not just you know. Oh, I, re- I had this idea once. <laughs> sure. Be nice to people. Um, <laughs> let's go a little bit, uh, a little bit section by section in in this careers unfold section. I, I was struck by this because I think there's, this is page 14, uh-huh. and I was struck by this from two perspectives. One, the perspective that you're actually talking to about the music industry. Oh, yeah. I was also thinking of this in regards to our current moment of the academic industry hmm. and the arts industry, perhaps, as a whole, as well. Uh, page 14, musicians are far more dependent on the disposable income of others than other tradespeople or craftspeople. Unless the arts funding climate in your country is robust, there will be mass extinction events in your industry in your lifetime. Be prepared to recognize the signs of this sort of industry-wide reshuffling. For example, if musicians more famous and successful than you become affordable to the groups you usually work with, you cannot fight this. It is bigger than you. Do your best to weather these times with humility. And I was even thinking of that in our current moment of academia of like, you can't stop the music voice faculty from hiring the singer who has sung for 25 years at the Met. You can't fight that. 
Yeah. Whether that's the right decision, the wrong decision, it doesn't matter decision. You can, there are certain things that you can't fight. I think I think too, I mean, you know, just making it about getting an academic appointment maybe more broadly for a moment. I mean, you can't fight the numbers game right now. I mean, right. I mean if anything music departments are contracting. Right. Mm-hmm. And and there's a a shelf that academia or that the the academic education industry has has fallen off a bit in terms of undergraduate applicants, right? There's just yeah. a demographic curve that is unfavorable right now and will be for, you know, maybe the next decade. Um but it's not like there was a a weaning of people getting doctorates in music that yeah. happened starting six or seven years ago. And, you know, so I think there's going to be a whole generation worth of people who um, need to not judge their value based on the arbitrary affirmation of a contracting industry. Like there yeah. are other amazing things we can do with that education. Right. And, and you know, great things we can do to change people's lives and, you know, bring positive outcomes into communities. Um, and so to not sort of... Um, chase a very specific kind of external affirmation to the exclusion of what the world actually would like from you. I I think it's important to say it out loud. I I also, I I mean, at this point, I, I have a hard time seeing the value of career mentorship from applied teachers who did not need to advance in the music industry following the housing crash of 2007-2008, right? Yes, I. there is a... I even recognize that, if I may, within the professoriate yeah. of those people who had a tenure-track appointment prior and owned that. a home yeah. prior to 2008. And I think it's really true. And 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 it, 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 there's such a stark contrast in attitudes that I now see yep. in in so many facets of that. And it's probably the um, same as it ever was. I mean, you, you go back far enough and it was like the OPEC crisis and you go back before then and it, whatever. Well, and I mean, and certain, certainly we saw it before and after the war. I mean, you know, before exactly and after right. the Second World yeah. War. I mean, you but, know. but it's just that there, there are these there are these big forces at play that have nothing to do with how pretty you sing. Or yeah. like how well you can play your Chopin mazurkas. Yeah, you know it's like to to an extent it, it's it's the result of of a diecast that happened the year you were born. Yeah, you know it's like you, you can't you can't control it, and so so don't internalize the shame, don't internalize the grief. I want to move on to my favorite sections are later, so I want to move on from mm-hmm. that section. I want to go to how music practice and performance work. Have you dog-eared anything in that one? Yeah. Oh, maybe we have the same pages. Go ahead. I'm oh um. Oh gosh, let's see which ones are. Well, I dog-eared a lot. It's I've got a pick now though. I have two that are starred. Oh, dog-eared dog and, and starred. I really, really liked because this was something that kind of resonated like with me, and also something that I feel like I say a lot with my students. On page twenty-two. Yep, that yeah. was my first one. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Go ahead, Sarah, read it. In your practice and performance, let the two possible outcomes be either radical success or catastrophic failure. No one ever moved people by first protecting themselves from the mistakes they are afraid they will make. Good God. Yep. <laughs> Serious. I know th this is a core tenet of my own teaching. Me too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I like. I feel like I say something. Say that pretty much every day, at least yeah. once. It's just like. Don't don't question the sound before you even make it. Like yeah. you're you're, you know, questioning mistakes that haven't even happened. Like you you have no idea what's gonna happen if you just go for it. Good chance you'll do it. I'm I'm gonna say this, Nick, and and you're gonna stop wanting to read sort of scientifically oriented things that are right. Um, <laughs> but one of, one of the one of the things that I I work on a lot with with singing clients, although this could apply to to basically any any kind of music making. Um, one of the things that I work on a lot is this thought that, okay, so we can say like, let the two possible outcomes be either radical success or catastrophic failure, but but like, what what's the middle thing? And the middle thing is like, ongoing active compromise, right? Mm. And um and and I think it's really important to say out loud like the reason we do the compromise thing instead, right? Like the reason we lock our knees when we get on stage, or the the reason that we hunch over playing our guitar when normally we would like have a good biomechanical relationship with the instrument. It is a hundred percent a protective gesture. You know, yes. it, it, it's like it, the brain says, you know what, this is probably not going to go well. And so let's just, let's, let's be fortune tellers. Like yeah. suddenly yeah. I have the power of telling the future and, and have predicted accurately that this is not going to go well. I'm going to go ahead and protect myself from that outcome. And so like the actual work of getting somebody to allow the two outcomes to be radical success or catastrophic failure is actually like deep soul work. It's, yeah. it's yeah. like figuring out who you are and what it is that you're actually afraid of and, and understanding that, that, you know, to have courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. It just means you don't let the fact that you're afraid change the way that you try. Seriously. I have another one from this section. Okay. Um, wonder if it's one of mine. Uh, 24, actually. Just two pages later. Yeah. Oh, oh I did like that one, <laughs> but I didn't. And I specifically underlined the second sentence and third sentence, but musical expression is rarely captured more efficiently with words than it is with music. In a rehearsal, never explain how you would like a colleague to phrase something. Always show them with your voice or with your instrument. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing nobody gets taught in music programs is how to rehearse. And, and if you go and you watch great conductors or great band leaders, they don't explain anything, right? And, and it's and it's like, you know, if you want it to be like, ya da dum ba da dum ba, and the fiddles are like, uh, I want Christmas to be over, and I'm <laughs> you know, and they're like, da 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 da, like the amount of time that it would take for the conductor to say, I want to stress on the first beat of that compound meter and then tail away. Yeah. Like that actually doesn't capture the essence of the musical gesture itself. And making music to somebody to show them what you want the music to be forces them to listen. Yeah. And it pulls them out of whatever like static position we can be in where we just think we can automatically make music. Um, but I, I found this with like every class of graduate students I've ever worked with 
um, when I'm in a, a music coaching capacity is like the thing I have to work on most is how they communicate to collaborators in a chamber music setting. And, and most of them, they start with, and I'm, I'm gonna do my little imitation of them, and I think you'll both um, see either yourselves at some point in your life or people you teach <laughs> in this meme. Um, but you'll start at the beginning of the piece and you'll go all the way through it, and then you'll get to the end, and then you'll say something super passive aggressive. Like, uh -huh. you, don't, you don't think it's passive aggressive, you think you're being kind, where you'll be like, I was wondering if um, in bar eight, maybe it could, um, maybe those could be shorter, right? And it's kind of framed as a question because you don't want to offend. Um, it, like as though, you know, if six people in a chamber ensemble kind of all have their own perspective on something yeah. and two of them are asleep and one of them really cares, but feels like they can't say anything. So everything they say just sounds passive aggressive. <laughs> um, as though that is gonna lead to a cohesive musical performance what like yeah. when instead i think what you can realize is ultimately most phrasing is arbitrary right all that matters is everybody is on the same page right and and so then you know sarah let's say we're, we're doing a piece together mm -hmm. i i can be like you know i feel like it needs to be yum da -da -da -dum, da -da 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 -da. like what do you think about that i could also hear it like yum da -da -da -boom -boom -da -da -boom -boom. like which which of those do you like yeah. Right. And, and, and then all of a sudden we're like communicating and I'm pulling in ideas or perspectives out of you. Um, so I just, I, I put that one in because I feel like nobody knows how to rehearse. <laughs> it's, it's so, 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 so true. Oh, I liked it. I like it. Um, I have, I have, I have a couple from, from the business networking relationship. It. Okay. Relationships section that I'd like to call out. Hold on, I want to make sure that I'm not <laughs> call in. <laughs> call in. Call call in. Yes. First of yeah, all, I'd like to say about this. this whole section, we need this section to be part of our curriculum. I like this was a section I read that I was like, I wish I had had this like five years ago, Brilliant. or however many years ago it was. I was finishing up undergrad. One like, of... would have been lovely. <laughs> One of the random things that has changed in my perspective in the last seven days yeah. is oh. page 41, the second half of page 41. Yeah. If you are contracting the gig, tell your musicians up front when everyone is making the same amount. And then I underlined, transparency breeds buy-in. And I underlined sure. it because as Sarah would tell you, I actually transparently share our lyric stage budget at yeah. every staff meeting. Mm -hmm. Nice. Because transparency breeds buy-in. Yep. That's nice. Yep, because then, because then, you sort of short circuit people assuming that they're getting screwed. Exactly. I, I, I think too, a lot like a lot of club date gigs. Like you, if you go be background music in a restaurant or whatever. Which, if anybody is listening to this and they're like, "No, I'm going to play my Mozart concerto," like that's great. Go learn your Mozart concerto. Sure. But, but until you get hired by the fancy symphony, you could be making money every single weekend playing music in restaurants. Um, everybody knows that everybody gets the same amount of money and then whoever is the leader will get a double scale usually mm. um or some additional amount of money and sure. that's because it's that person's job to talk to management at the gig and it's that person's job to make sure everybody has their charts and that they're organized and it's that person's job to call tunes it's the same thing on uh if you're in the the classical singing world most uh concert work you know like 
you will know that you're getting $1,500 per concert. And there's a run of four of them, so you know exactly how much money you're making. And every one of the other soloists is getting the exact same amount of money. Um, which is interesting because it is a world that does not invite the existence of agents and managers, right? Because right? Yeah. they literally cannot negotiate their 20% on top of it. Right. Yeah, that yep. makes sense. Right. Sarah, what, what stuck out to you in this section? Oh, well, so I, I did. I liked a lot of the really practical things. That's actually one of the things I just enjoyed in the book in general was I felt like it was a nice mix of like super just practical to the point, like here's just some basic advice and then also just lovely life lessons that... Um, yeah, I just I so life lessons like on fifty nine, which I've talked. Uh, that I've was my next one. Uh, what 59. can I say? Oh. What can I say? Just that almost no one in a position of power thinks they have power. Be kind to others if there is money involved. This is one of the great yeah. pieces of wisdom that Ian ever shared with me. Is literally. Power doesn't feel like power when you have it. Power does not feel like power when you have it. And golly, is that right? It just feels like, why are all these people making eye contact with me? <laughs> I must be amazing, <laughs> is what it feels like. <laughs> yep. But you do your whole like responsibility chair talk to I your just Penn gave students. it last week. No, but but it's so it's so important to like nothing. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say this out loud, and I realize I'm. I'm Gen X and, and maybe actually this is a really unhealthy way to look at life. Um, <laughs> but like nothing is as amazing as you think it would be. Like when nothing. you get to be in charge of stuff, it's, right. it's not as great as you thought it, it would be. It just means you have more work. It just means you have more work. Yeah. And, and you like whenever you accomplish something that you set out to do, like it, it's always the last simple to do task in a list of 40 tasks. It's, it's like, it's always anticlimactic. And you don't what? get to dwell on it because it's the nope. next thing. Like, and then there's the next thing to do. I had a brief stint where I had a lot of things that I was in charge of and didn't care for it. Wasn't no. a fan. One no. of the, uh, I'll just share this. This is not Ian's book. And I and, and you can think of this author, whatever you like. I, I, it's not for me to say. But one of my favorite books on leadership is a book by Dana Lender called Leadership Pain. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, basically the premise is that leadership by definition is pain. Yeah. And uh, is, the, is the only question who you limit that pain to? It, it's, it's one of the big premises, yeah. yes. Um, could we also share page 60? Um, because this is another one that has taken on a new <laughs> meeting for me oh, very bigly, yeah. very largely in the last week. Almost no one in a position to hire trusts their own opinion. Yep. <laughs> That is one of the big things I learned as a singer, as a professional singer. We but, see this in academia with yeah. deans all the time. All the time. No, it it is really true. And but but here's the thing. So like so Sarah, it's like that's an interesting life lesson. But but then like practical so what do you do? If that's true, what do you do? And so the thing you do, and this is gonna sound terrible, and like please don't do this to your friends and, <laughs> and don't make it your whole personality. It, dinner parties but like you you make it easy for people to talk about how amazing you are yeah like that's what you do and people will hear what you tell them they are going to hear right yeah, I, and, yeah. and I used to run experiments with this when I was when I was performing because <laughs> I would do I would do a lot of like media like lo regional or local media if I was in town for a concert sure. series with an organization and um and so like I, I would tell people on the radio what I was great at, ah. right? And and so it would be like, you know, it's like my German, my 
my German diction, like I, I really enjoy the clarity I'm able to bring to the German text as I sing Bach, Cantage, something like that. And sure. like clockwork, whatever I said on the radio, people would come up to me after the concert and tell me that's what I had done that was so great. Right? Because sure. like they went in expecting it. Because they went in expecting it and people want to feel like they're a part of some other person's story. Yeah. And so if we don't tell that story, people don't like it just wanna they won't understand how to differentiate between, you know, one of twenty rejoice greatly sopranos that could come out of a vending machine yes. like in any major city, right? Yeah. And, and so so you have to I mean, you have to be great to work with, right? You have to be the person sure. that other singers and other instrumentalists, or if let's say you're a, a a bass player in a jazz ensemble, like you want to be the person that drummers love working with, mm -hmm. right? It's like you want to be that first. Um, but you want to be able to tell a story about yourself when you have opportunities so that other people then latch on to that story. And then that will overcome their own pessimism in their taste because yeah. as soon as you're the person that gets to make the decision to engage somebody or not you realize it could cost an organization money if you yep. make the wrong call right yeah, yeah. Yep. yep and that that pressure is going to make you make safe choices yep. yeah yeah that make, yeah yeah. Mm. Okay. Makes... Can we move on from that point for now? Is that okay? I feel like we Are should unpack this a little pressure? bit more, Nick. I was going to say, we should. Uh, just pressure and make it. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to move on to the becoming who you are chapter, oh. if that's okay. Ah. This, is, this is one of my favorite chapters. I have in the a book. lot of dog ears in this one. So, so do I. Here's my first one, Sarah. Okay. Okay. Um, page see. page seventy one. And I'm just gonna and I'm just gonna read the first and last sentences of seventy one. No, yeah. read, you gotta read. Oh, I'll read the whole thing. <laughs> okay. rhythm no, because it. I think this is this is something that actually I say to voice performance majors. I was as part yeah. of the as part of the responsibility chair talk this semester. Um, I had actually shared with the class that one of the things that is difficult is when you have to tell someone that they've failed their recital hearing mm -hmm. or they failed their barrier or they failed an audition or uh, I, I would say equally as hard but probably the responsible thing to do is to hold somebody back from that uh, right? yeah like, tell them With, proactively you're not like, you're not ready. ready for this and sometimes they don't listen correct well, there's that. Um, That's not on you, though. But um, this is, uh, so this is page 71 in the Becoming Who You Are chapter. Mm -hmm. It is okay to change your mind about what you want to do with your life. I'm going to read that again. It is okay to change your mind about what you want to do with your life. Just because you're good at something does not mean you have to do it for money. Just because someone else was better than you when you were young does not mean you will not exceed them in time. Just because you did something no, no, just because you did something well when you were young does not mean you cannot set it aside as you age. Just because you had a good reason to do something when you were younger does not make it right for you now. Just because you did something for the wrong reason before does not mean you cannot do it for a better reason now. That, that really that really resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. Very very much. What else did you have from this section? Can I just Sarah? say please, though, the, please. The, uh, in terms of like people sending me pictures of pages like they bought the book and then they like send me a note about it like this page. 
this page is the one where people it's, write it's like tear stained text messages yep yeah that that's 100 percent. and can i say too every one of those sentences i can like name the person yeah i can name the person who like taught me that i didn't i didn't love playing marimba enough i thought i did <laughs> I was doing yeah. percussion undergraduate degree. I thought I was going to be a marimba player professionally until I met the person that taught me that I didn't love it enough, right? right? Which is what pushed me off in this other direction. Yeah. And, and we're all going to have that. These are not going to be abstract things, right? It's it's like just because, just because you did something for the wrong reason before does not mean you cannot do it for a, for a better reason now. This is not an abstract thing. This right. is going to be a thing like, oh... I realized that I played the trumpet because the high school band director was the, like the most visible role model musician in my small community. Mm-hmm. And then I got to you know some fancy conservatory and realized that I was doing it for that social status in that community. Yeah. And now that doesn't seem relevant at all. And I hate myself, right? It's like, it's gonna be real, real visceral experiences that people have. I- I mean, I'll, gosh, I'm, I'm even hesitant to even share this, but like I had a, I've had multiple realizations of this nature throughout my life yeah. as a self-aware musician and person and who's been through therapy and all these kind of things and parenting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, parenting yeah. and whatever. And I had a, 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 this realization actually somewhere around the pandemic that literally the only reason I think I ever liked sports was because I wanted something to talk to my father about. Yeah. Ah. And I've realized that I don't enjoy watching sports pretty much of any kind or doing any sports of any kind. I feel that. I can. Like, you know, like these awarenesses (laughs) that that you just come to, you know, but but at the same time, like when I started singing, Mm -hmm. I... I sang because people were like, you can sing high. Yeah. You should be a singer. Sure. And then sure. one day I couldn't sing high anymore. Yep. But then once I overcame that, I had the awareness of like, oh, now I sing because like, I actually I love music singing. and I love giving people music and actually bringing joy to people's hearts. And I, I don't know if I'll be able to successfully get to the end of telling you this short anecdote, but when my mother passed away, the very first thing I said to my now wife was, thank God I can stop singing now. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I came out the other end of that. Yeah. And, and I, I ultimately like found my own reasons and my own motivation for it. But yeah. to pretend that we move through this life with simple motivations, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, it's, Nobody should put that on themselves. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have another one just a couple pages later. It's a favorite of mine as well. Uh, on page 74. Okay. <laughs> this is very a- applicable to oh. a podcast. <laughs> there's yep. nothing to talk about until there's something to talk about. <laughs> I prove that untrue all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, I think our whole podcast does. Like, sometimes we walk in and we're like, do you but, have something to talk about but today? The, like but, the sec- but the second sentence, try to write your ideas down and you will learn whether you understand them. Yep. Woof. This was, the, in, the, um, in the research curriculum, 
that Kayla Godero and I ran at New England Conservatory. Now I know this is something she does at Boston Conservatory too. We actually really consciously tried to keep things as non-linear as possible for as long as possible. So like mm -hmm. literature, the literature review process itself, we discouraged people from creating linear word document uh, annotated bibliographies, which is a very old school way of doing things, right? And we kind of, we, we instead used a, a modern version of the process that I was taught in like sixth grade, which is essentially index cards, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like index cards on a bulletin board. Yeah. Uh, so instead of that, it's like mind mapping software where you can have nodes of text and images and URL links and whatever, and then you can have lines that connect them one to the other. So you can start to see the large pattern. Yeah that all of your sources are pointing to. But then at some point, you have to try to formulate a, a linear narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I joke about this sometimes at like acoustic vocal pedagogy workshop. It's like somebody will say something like, but harmonics are blah, blah, blah. And all I have to do is say, tell me more about harmonics. And, and they like they try <laughs> to talk about it. Tell and they, me, and tell me how the organic human body creates a perfect integer a perfect, series. A per, yeah, tell me what is perfectly periodic about about voicing. Um, and, but but you're right. It's like until you try to put something in a linear form, you don't realize the glaring gaps in your yeah. own understanding. Sarah, I would like you to read page 76, what? please. What? Crazy, because I was going to say, this page really resonated with me. I um, I have a dog-eared, underlined, just the whole nine yards. And it is. You need more sleep. Amen. And I was like, wow, I feel this on a level, I, you know, that's my tear-stained page right there. <laughs> Probably some of your son's tears as well. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Oh, yeah, he had his first little tear. Because, you know, they don't cry, really have cry tears at first. And so the first time that happened, I was like, oh, no, I've broken <laughs> him. Broken my I, I don't want to babies bounce. What, hold on, my please, actual. Please, please. I'll say because I did dog ear that, please. but I actually dog eared the next page that you do not need to be the same person on stage as you are in real life. <laughs> you do not even need to use the same name. You do not need to reconcile these two aspects of yourself. Like, oh, I love that. I love that. That's so freeing. You know, <sighs> and that's an interesting page actually. Yeah. It is freeing, and yet it's one of the few pages. Where for me that's not a truth. I no. know some people like I I worked I've worked with some people that like that was a big issue for them because for me that's like that is such a freeing thought that like when I go out it's not me. You know, it's... most successful performers that I have met are actually introverts. I oh and, sure and, and, and being yeah. on stage, being at after parties, being at oh, receptions yeah. with oh, diners is the worst. Seen it well, so many times the Sorry, makeup has not come off yet. Like they're still in costume, oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Like emotionally, yeah. It's, um, and and again, it's not. It's like I think this is generally true. We can certainly have different contexts in our lives where we feel consistently the same person. So so like I, I've never been one of those people that like really successfully created like a business social media page, sure, right? Sure, I I'm feel like, that. I'm just who I am. Like mm -hmm. I'm not. Uh, I'm trying to think of some horrid thing I could advocate for online that would like harm my professional career. Like, that just, harmonics are not real? They're <laughs> not. They're, so Sorry. harmonics are... <laughs> no, we won't go into that. Um, it's, it's just, it seems to me that like, the question again is, what do you do with that information? Mm -hmm. Right? And And if anything, I just, if people have a hard time... Um, 
I don't know, going to a community mixer at a library and they feel really socially awkward being around new people. Yeah. Yet somehow they could walk on the Carnegie main stage and, you know, stomp their foot and demand attention. You know, it's it's like there's an incongruity there. Yeah. And yeah. and it's totally okay to be those two different people. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that whether you believe in things like personality types or, yeah. or what have you or not, um, but oftentimes you hear people who are analysts of Myers-Briggs yeah. analyses talk about how musicians are often very much like almost statistically improbably toward the midline on the extrovert introvert scale mm, sure. because they can be extroverted enough to do that yeah and and yet maybe their tendencies are actually to be introverted i'm infp i think that's what i was i'm infj yeah. uh, i'm feeling judged <laughs> you probably should. Yeah, I'm perceiving that I'm feeling judged. <laughs> ENTJ, I am the executive, yeah. and I have finally I, I earned that. the title. That's yep. really fine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, I'd like to move on to the next section. Sure, so we sure. don't so we hit all the sections. Sure, um, sure, sure. Sarah, what did you have in necessary skills behaviors? Um on eighty five. Ooh, eighty five. What's eighty yeah. five? Holding on to anger is like holding on to a hot coal while planning on throwing it at someone else. You are the one getting burned. That is straight up Buddha. Yeah. Yep. The, I, the one on, the, on two pages later, if you die I on also every had, hill, you are the one dying. I also had that earmarked because yeah. those were just ones I was like, oh, those are just good for like life and just reminders for myself. Just, yeah. yeah. I remember Got dying on every fire. hill. It was painful. It's exhausting. I and feel like exhausting. that needs yeah. to be like anytime you open up your web browser, if you die on every hill, you're the one dying. Should just like <laughs> just pop just up on your screen. Page. Yeah. Uh, I also very much like um, 90 and 91. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. Do not try to teach until you decide to try to be good at teaching. Amen. Mm. And also, what has always been a tenet of mine since I started teaching, and I share with every pedagogy it's class, huge. you cannot teach somebody who does not want to learn. It is a very fragile ecosystem that is a good student-teacher relationship. And yep. you cannot impose it. Yep. Oh, it is two people willing to come into a relationship with each other. Yep. And anything else from this section, Sarah? Um, I had like a few others that were just like things I liked, but I have uh, a. Oh, I had one actually. It was it Please. was eighty nine. What's eighty nine? <laughs> no music or musical role is beneath you, especially if it pays and you need the money. Amen. I don't understand the. I I've never understood this very presentist view in in academia, which is like we are training artists as as though that will like automatically feed you i was gonna say i can't eat the art i can't eat art and i don't i don't think being employable and being a great artist are mutually exclusive yeah and, and i don't think the only way to generate you know the the world class artists which will be like all the way over on the normal distribution curve of outcomes for people's lives like i don't think there's anything about those folks where business smarts isn't also important mm -hmm. you know they, yeah. they need to at least figure out if they can trust a manager to not cheat them yeah right uh to say nothing of they're probably going to be spending some amount of years negotiating their own contracts before that happens yep 
I have one more from this section okay. that is very present in my mind. Page 93. I have that, <laughs> I had that one earmarked, yeah. <sighs> Let's do it, Nick. This you either have more time or more money. This will change as you get older. Spend what you have more of. What if you have neither? <laughs> wait. <laughs> Just wait. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember... I remember purchasing the my very first Julius Caesar that I got hired to do. I, I used to sing Ptolemeo. Um, is a, an opera, George Handel uh, mm -hmm. opera. Um, and the very first time I did it, I purchased the Dover reprint of the Christender edition, which is like a 19th century edition. I learned alto clef because oh. I couldn't afford the Baron Rider. And, but I could afford the $8 Dover reprint. Yeah. And so I, I learned alto clef to learn Ptolemeo because I had more time than money. Yeah. The next time I did Ptolemeo, I was older and I bought the Baron Rider. Woohoo! <laughs> yes. How about academia and education, Sarah? How about academia and education? Oh, goodness. I try not to talk about this yeah, topic. Okay. Sure. Um... Oh, I liked page 109. Ooh, what's 109? It is only in academia that portions of the music industry are pitted against each other. Oh, hello. Yeah. yeah. For, uh, for example, classical versus contemporary, opera versus musical theater, orchestras versus chamber music. It is primarily because your physical footprint on campus is a one-to-one -one sign of your value to the institution. Mm -hmm. Only in that sort of environment does prioritizing one kind of music mean diminishing the resources allocated to another. I liked the last sentence a lot. I strong believe this. Yeah. And you, you'll see this in a lot of public discourse about changes that people would like to see in terms of prioritizing one kind of music over another it's mm -hmm. it's always destructive it's never additive it's always we need to stop doing this kind of music yeah. because it's old and horrid or whatever as though it's not a vital contemporary practice right um but it's because they need the they need the rooms mm -hmm. right so you can't add something without taking something else away. Sarah, I would like to, at some point, January can be whatever, um, actually discuss what I did in my grad rep class this semester mm. yes. on the podcast. Yes, I would love that. Um, uh, would we'll, love. We'll do an episode about that in the coming months, Vocal Fam. I'm guessing this relates to a dog-eared page? No, no, no. What no? you were just saying, because, <laughs> oh, because we actually divided the course this year into five weeks of classical repertoire, five weeks of musical theater, examining musical theater repertoire, and five weeks of examining, for lack of a better word, you know, contemporary commercial repertoires. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. I think we should. Uh, Make it great. Uh, can I? It, please. Sorry, I was just going to say, can I read page 100? Yeah. I was just back that direction. Yes, please. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I really liked that. Academic institutions will center a set of values that reflect their investments. A school with an expensive building will expect you to value the resources in that expensive building. A school with a dormitory will prioritize the power of a residential education. A school with a faculty disconnected from the current music industry will value the memory of the past. You will never own those buildings. You will never have a time machine. Take what you can, but make sure your personal values are not limited by the priorities of large institutions. Yes. 
So again, it's, I don't know, it, like it, it could read as a critique, but I think it's just real. Like it's just reality. Yeah, no. You know, I... if, if you have a hotshot young faculty member who's connected to, you know, active parts of the music industry, it's like that's, you're going to lead with that as though that's what every student needs. If you have a dormitory, you're going to say that online education is horrible. Sure. You know, um, and it's not, it's, I don't know, none of this is good or bad, but I think the thing people always forget is like there's going to be a day after they graduate. I think and also like like you, you're not going to have that concert hall anymore. Yeah. But you meet people where you are, sort of meeting institutions where they are. Like don't yeah. go to an institution that has dormitories and this huge focus on in-person music making and be upset that they don't expecting something else have That's exactly right. this. Yeah. The the irony of course is the the population that really could use a hand understanding options that deviate from in-person in a nice large fancy building. Yeah. is the population of graduates of that institution. <laughs> yes. So it's like, if you never learn the skill, oh. Yeah. Yes. I would like to go to the mentors and teachers section because there's about three pages or so in this, or two, three pages in this I'd like to share. Go ahead. Um, Sarah, you want to start with something in this last section? Well, mine's the very last page, so oh, I was going to say, page? do you want me to, it's 125? Printed in camp. Oh no! Last page. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <that's... laughs> sorry, sorry. The last, the last page of of text. Text. Almost everyone you encounter has something to offer. If you can, do not let the ways in which they fall short of what you think you need stop you from learning what they can give you. Yep. Yeah, yeah I love that. That's that. Uh, a lot of these things are just good. Just life. Period. Like I feel like that's yeah. a good mentality to just take with people you interact with in in general. That, that page, like, I know exactly the professor that that's about in the mm. degree program where I was working with somebody and I was like, they are not giving me everything I need. And and it yeah. took me a, it took me almost a year and then I chilled. And I was like, oh, if I need other things, I'm going to go find other people to help me with that. Yeah. What is this person great at? And and then from that moment, for, I, I learned so much from them. It was amazing. Um, one for you teachers out there on one on page one twelve. Yeah. In a lesson, the person doing the most talking is often the person doing the most learning. Sure. The person making the most music is the person getting better at making music. Yeah, I I feel like um those of you who are unfamiliar with the concept of of motor learning theory, uh, it's a really interesting outside field that's like crashing into voice pedagogy over the last decade. Mm. I think there are some reasonable limits to its immediate obvious application. If you study like, how can I train somebody to throw a javelin really efficiently? I don't know that that necessarily immediately maps to a complex motor task like singing. But at the same time, the amount of time we spend getting just ex thinking we're doing them a favor by explaining stuff versus just getting them to sing or just getting them to play their snare drum or just getting them to play their piano scale again. It's like, yeah. you almost always learn what you can teach in a really efficient amount of time as a teacher if you let them make a bunch of mistakes in front of you for a while. The older I get, the less I say. The less you talk, yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I feel like I've kind of switched to like, um, like a personal trainer model where my goal is to lead, so I teach singing, right? To, to lead a, a singer through a series of fairly intense reps, right? So we'll, yeah. you know, we'll do it. And there's always downtime. 
I always give downtime between, they can reflect, I can shape their reflections or offer feedback, you know? So it's not like there is, it's not like there's virtue in saying nothing, but it's really, I agree. the art of it is in how you choose to talk. I, I think that, um, one of the things that I'm often, when I do, when I'm asked to evaluate someone's teaching, I think you can learn so much by evaluating the pacing of someone's teaching. Amen. It's, uh, yeah. And whether they, um, I don't know why I use a baseball analogy. I'm not a particular fan of baseball, but like sometimes you have to let things like let a pitch go over the plate. Like you can't engage everything that's going on. Correct. Yeah. In a singer or in a, in a student. One of the worst master classes I ever saw taught was someone, very famous singer, who wanted to fix a thousand things in yeah. 45 minutes. And Impossible. two things, maybe. It's just. Um, two of my favorite pages of the book are pages 114 and 115. Mm. Um, and, and, and Ian, you and I have discussed 115 at length previously ourselves. But um, uh, uh, this is. And we've actually kind of already hit on 114 today, to be yeah. completely honest. Uh, Parents and teachers will let you down once you see them as real people, which is inevitable. Remember, that is a story about you, not about them. Parents and teachers and mentors. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, the, if, if, if you stay in an industry for long enough, you're going to hit you're going to hit a pivot point where you realize nobody understands what's going on and nobody's actually in charge. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And, and maybe even like to put it harshly, it's like no one's actually qualified <laughs> to like be making those choices, but it's a reflection of how much you've learned. Yeah. Right. That you, you get to the point where you can see the ambiguities that everybody who actually understands how the world works copes with every single day. Yeah. And I also love 115. Mm-hmm. Um, mentors, like anyone else, have their own skill sets, don't we all? Yes, we do. If they work within academia, it is likely that they will prioritize the value of that skill set, parentheses, and devalue other skills, end parentheses, as an act of self-preservation. No one survives in academia by suggesting that students need something they are unable to provide. This means that it is common for mentors to push you to stay within their comfort zone. The mentor interested in your growth is the mentor willing to grow. This is a warning for students and also an admonition for teachers. It's like if you're not picking up skills every single year or, or if you're not, how do I want to put this? If a student comes to you and proposes some interesting thing they'd like to work on and your response is anything short of, that sounds amazing. What would we need to learn to be able to explore this? Mm-hmm. Then you are limiting the outcomes of those students. And I, I, I joke with, with our friend Joshua a lot, like, I feel like every summer for the last seven or eight years, I had to to learn more about Pratt and sound analysis technology just to keep up with my students. 
you know, it's like the joke is like anybody can teach a beginning French class. You don't need to speak French. You just need to speak French like one week ahead of the class. Right. And and I always had to be like just ahead in my coding capabilities and in my understanding of studio practices like a, a lab laboratory practices. Um, and, and the thought that the thought that even as a mentor that one has arrived somewhere and doesn't need to keep growing. <laughs> Right. Or that the field isn't going to grow around you mm. and eclipse you. I, I just I feel like it is one of the most potentially damaging limitations that we can put on other people. Because really what we're saying is that thing you're excited about doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right. And really what we're saying is I am terrified that they will become aware that I am the fraud that I'm concerned that I am, right? When you know, the, the hilarious thing is restricting them actually makes them think you're the fraud, right? It's like, it doesn't help. Yeah. You know, I. it's interesting that perspective and just so, so much of this. One of the reasons I appreciate the book so much is that, and, and that that quote particularly, is my own experience of the fact that nine years ago, 10 years ago now almost, I was in a position where I was directly told that I had no value in this business, mm. none, and that I should not be in the business. Whoa. And by a mentor? By a boss, oh. by a dean. Mm. Jeez, Louise. And you showed them. <laughs> well, the thing I was going to say is, in the end, it was very freeing. Yeah. What the hell worse thing could happen? Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think we're so often as mentors, we're scared of what is the next worst thing that could happen. Whereas. People who are running opera companies. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> just take a chance, the, man. The company could close. I mean, that's yeah. the you know. I mean, like that. That would be it. Yeah. I, I mean, you you know, like like like. Look, I I think the freedom of having been fired. Yeah. Whether rightfully or wrongfully doesn't even matter, but there's a there's a freedom. There's like a clarity that that is kind of brought to like so much of the things that you shared in this book and. And I would never wish that on anybody. I don't like yeah. wish for other people to have for that sure. kind of clarity. Sure. But I, I, I think that there's great wisdom in this book that like I wish young me would have had. I wrote the book I wish I'd read when I was 18 or 19. You Not know, that I would have believed all of it. But. Like, well, in that, some of it you kind of have to live to exactly. believe. Right. Yeah, you know though, I mean, Nick, it's funny you mentioned a 10 year time frame. And this isn't a thing that is in the book, but this is another thing that I think is really important is like in in our lives, especially our professional lives, especially in music, because it's it's a resource poor field. Yeah. And so it it makes people more petty than they would be if there was abundance. Um, we we don't get immediate answers about whether certain courses of action that we advocate for were the right choice right right and and so it's like you know you, you talk about this like this sort of inflection moment in your relationship with this administrator right which had a negative outcome for you 
at that but time. But a very positive outcome for me. And, and, and the thing is, it's like in that moment, it wasn't that that person was right and you were what they said you were, right? right. In some ways, mm-hmm. to them, you were what they needed you to be in their view of the world, right? Right. Um, but the only way to know the answer is for him to move forward, for them to move forward having made that choice, and for you to move forward making different choices and like hypothetically check in 10 years later right. to see who was right in that situation. And and that sort of pattern will play out over and over and over again in our lives yes. where ultimately we have to realize that like the only true mark of what really matters for us is if it matters to us. Yeah. Hmm. And then you just commit to the path that you're on and I don't know, nobody will do this, right? Nobody ties up these loose ends, but you check in a decade later and you see who was right. Who drove yeah. their opera company into the ground, Nick, which I'm sure is not going to happen. Who ended up on a faculty of an institution that ends up getting closed? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like there, there are worse things than having the outcomes we think we want because well, life is just too random. And I mean, I, I, I also just think about the, the perspective of so often, I think that in our business, we believe that the people who are still here are the best. Oh. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of times the people that are here are the ones who were willing to move to a specific place for a specific salary and who are who had the just the willingness and the mental fortitude to stick it out yep that too or didn't have parents that got sick at a specific point in mm. their lives or themselves got sick or, or themselves got exactly or, right or, or or who knows for a so billion like. other reasons yep gosh the world is made of the point is, I, I think that there's beautiful complexity in this, yeah. in this book, and in this life, and particularly here at the holiday season. It's beautiful to take a second, the year's wrapping up, to take a second and consider, you know, what you're thankful for, maybe what needs to change. Sure. And and just and and then go buy Ian Howell's advice for young yeah. musicians on Amazon. Have, yeah. Taking it home, yeah. So it's available. Mm-hmm. Advice for young musicians from Embodied Music, um, Embodied Music Lab Press is available on Amazon. It, there's different country Amazons. So like there's a Amazon UK and an Amazon Canada and Amazon France and Amazon. And it's available Germany. from all of those. Yeah, so you can order it locally. That's through nice. those and you know we'll get to your house in like two days it's fairly ridiculous um it's also more broadly available kind of wherever books are sold you can get it on barnes and noble's website now um there, there's a number of other websites that are carrying it as well so uh if for some reason you don't want to use amazon um or like don't benefit from their free shipping and sure. want to do something else um by bef- all means, just Google it; it'll come up. And before people freak out, price point is not very high on this. Oh, no, it's like it's very bucks. reasonable. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I mean, you know, you're not talking about ruining your Christmas shopping <laughs> by per. But if you're considering Christmas gifts for your studio, yep. yeah, for those people you work with, for <laughs> uh, you know your 14 year old son, hypothetically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Now he can't listen to this episode. I'm just going to hand him my copy. But anyway, um, 
Um, but, you can also, I've, I've had a number of people who um, approach me about bulk orders, and I'm actually set up ah. to do that if people contact me through the embodiedmusiclab.com website. That's good to um, know. Yeah, so you can save a, save a little bit of money if you want to order five or more copies. Great, great. Um, well, this has been absolutely a delight, actually I'm getting really back to guess. recording and being with friends. And uh, I can't believe Sarah stayed awake this whole time. I'm really proud of myself. I'm proud of you. It's almost the end of my day, guys. I yeah. should, I'll be going to bed in about two, three hours. I thought days were like six hours long and they just kept repeating. Like it's, two hours sleep, two hours play, two hours feed, two hours It's, it's a three-hour cycle is my life right now. Everything is in three-hour sessions. That's about right. Yeah. Have you hit the... The sleep regression yet? No, that's apparently at four months. Look, yeah, look, look, coming. look. We have to sleep through the night before we cannot sleep through the Fair night. Fair point. We have standards, people. Yeah. Wow, sleep regression. You My don't kids remember never that? did that. It's mm, entirely possible you've blocked it out. There's also that. <laughs> yeah. There's I, a lot that I don't remember from yeah. 2012 to 2015. Yep. So it turns out that like the first two weeks that my child was alive, I don't remember like anything from no. those two weeks. Like, like I vividly remember the day he was born. That day is like burned into my memory. Yeah, it was but of the some next, consequence. Yeah, but yeah. then the next two weeks, that like people will be like, "I told you this when I was over after." And I'm like, I don't remember. Like, I was in a fog of Percocet, no sleep. Yep. Like, yep. what? I can tell you the fact that Nick has two kids and I have two kids. There's going to be a lot about this time being a parent <laughs> that you will not remember. Sounds and then, right. And then you'll be like. Maybe it would be a good idea <laughs> to go ahead. Now it couldn't have been that bad, right? I would like to say that after the second one, mm. that full there stop. was it was a full stop. I put a period at the end of that state yeah. sentence. <laughs> I'd maybe uh, keep a diary. Not that you remember how to write words down right now, but oh, just, just a, a love letter to your future self when you're thinking about childhood. There's a note on my phone from the from Fair. around oh the day my child was born. Fair. I'd bring it out at socially appropriate moments, you know. <laughs> Just at Christmas this year. Christmas Hello, everybody. Before you start asking me anything, because I'm just going to read you this. You should be like, we need to level expectations. Yeah. Uh, Vocal Fam, we will be back with you, uh, in, you know, in a week or so. It depends. We have to figure out when it's going to happen. When first. it's going to happen. But yeah. uh, we will be back with you for Vocal Fry Christmas 7, um, when we will uh, both... Um, I, what I would like to do for that episode, Sarah, by yes. the way, is I would like to very quickly wrap up Carmen for them and yeah, actually since, tell them the yeah. mess that we went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then also uh, review the three Doctor Who 60th anniversary oh, specials. I have watched them all, by the way. Great. And I didn't actually say that, Great. but I have. Um, so that's we what do. I would like to do for that. I think um, that sounds wonderful. Sounds like a wonderful plan. I feel like all I need is one more pandemic and I'll start Doctor Who at the beginning and watch all of them. <laughs> well... In case you're wondering, RTD is labeling the Christmas special episode zero. Yeah, it's a re like a total so like it's restart. a total restart. Uh, Which I felt like was I'm so Church on actually. Ruby Road on December 25th on Disney Plus is being labeled episode zero. Whoa, I'm caught up on Loki. Oh, oh does that so count? good? Loki was other things we didn't talk about. Uh, Bit. Yeah. Amazing. I'm really enjoying it. Absolutely my favorite Marvel show, even overtaking WandaVision for me. Wow. Um, it was Loki season two, and I think if you view the two seasons as really one It's like one long twelve yeah. episode arc. Wow, wow, wow. I just, wow, I just wow, can't wow. believe the the actor 
is it Owen Wilson, the guy who's like, wow, wow. wow. Yeah, like that yeah. guy. I can't believe he's like, I'm, I'm just rooting for him. I'm like, can you play the same character in every movie? I love like, it. How do you do this? Yes, and I'm never upset by it either. I'm just no. like, yeah, somehow this works. I'm, yeah, I'm just like, say wow. Like at wow. one point in 60 minutes, just say wow and we'll be fine. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I love it. Owen Wilson. <laughs> um, okay, very good vocal fam. So that is it, Sarah. You haven't shared a breakfast in months. Oh. What are you eating for breakfast these days? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I had to think about it. What am I eating for breakfast? One uh, assumes that the baby is eating formula. Maybe we need to morph no, this in future formula. seasons into what is the baby eating? Well, that feels really personal right now. <laughs> okay. I said um, in future seasons. Sure, sure, sure. I, for breakfast, had a protein waffle like one of those Kodiak protein waffles oh, yeah. and um because there's two sessions because when you get up at like four you yeah. kind of end up having two breakfasts you're eating for two yeah no that joke. too um caloric intakes and I also had like it's these like Kent granola breakfast things mm-hmm. that's I don't know it's you good. and your it's German also pronunciation of kind bars oh my Genau. gosh sorry <laughs> Yeah, whatever. It's a super mega breakfast. Yeah. Uh, that's how sleepy I am because I really had broken myself of that because I went through a horrible phase where I would try to pronounce sit- towns in Mississippi with just like diction appropriate. Oh, that's to a very bad idea. Accent. And it's so wrong because there's a there's a town nearby Gluckstadt, Gl- <laughs> but it's Gluckstadt. <laughs> but if you say Gluckstadt then people are going to laugh at you, like, a lot. And they're <laughs> really going to bring bad. it up at lots of social occasions. You're like, or, but you're just um, a town of luck. What is wrong with this? Right? Yeah, there's a lot of them in there's, Mississippi. Oh, gosh. I, you know, I can never even remember how to say it the way it should be said here. But, like, is it D'Iberville? Is that? I don't even know that one. Oh, it's down near Gulfport. But, like, I tried to pronounce it, like, as if it was French, because it is. And I get laughed at a lot for that, too. You, too, can do a tour of fascinating places in Mississippi. Yeah, exactly. There's a town called, they call it Sugarlot, but it's spelled S-H-U-Q-U-A-L-A-K. What? That one's actually, um, it's an indigenous, like, name, though, so. Whoa. I don't know if they're, there's probably still not pronouncing it correctly but we had one of those in houston that was that that the spelling of it was f-u-q-u-a oh no which was pronounced fuqua (laughs) that sounds dangerous in the way that like a vietnamese restaurant menu could be yes 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 anyway all right vocal fam that's it for us we'll be back with you soon before you know it uh thank you ian for joining us thanks for having me Bye. peace out